Hello, and thanks for tuning in to Story Living, where we learn from inspiring leaders and their stories. I'm Jack, founder of Light Up Ventures, a certified coaching firm on a mission to illuminate people through story development. For this episode, we have the opportunity to speak with Fernando Delgado, a senior product leader at Google, who has an inspiring story of perseverance from his time at Microsoft and Yahoo to taking risks with entrepreneurship endeavors. We're going to learn how to make the most of rejection. So let's flip to the first digital page of this story and dive in. Hey, Fernando, thanks for taking time to join us. How are you doing today? Hey, Jack, I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for, for having me today. Uh, of course, looking forward to hearing your story. Before we jump in, though, uh, where are you joining from? I'm loving the background you have here. Thank you. I'm, I'm actually joining from my home in California. Uh, this is my wife's favorite wall in the home, and she has uh, handpicked uh, virtually all of the, the different objects that you see around. So I wanted uh, to do it from here to honor her. Wonderful. Well, I love that you're honoring her and it's my favorite wall in your house as well. <laughs> Thank um, you. And it seems a little bit of Latin flair maybe in some of that artwork, which is a nice segue into the start of your story. Growing up in Venezuela, I'm going to ask if you can maybe just paint us a picture of what it was like growing up there, including the story of how your godmother sparked your interest in technology. Absolutely. Um, so I'm originally from Caracas, Venezuela, the capital. Um, I was born and raised there, lived there until I was essentially 18. Um, Venezuela is a, a country of 25, 30 million population. So it's medium sized. Um, lots of people there, um, um, at least until I was uh, a young adult, um, it was typical for people to be born there, raised there and stay there for their lives, their entire lives. Um, uh, I've had a chance to live in lots of different places in the world. So that's been a little unusual coming from my background. Um, and, uh, the story with, with my godmother, who essentially was the first one who introduced me to the internet, um, it was the first time I, I saw what, it, what that meant. It was in the 90s. I was 10 or 11 years old, I think. And uh, it turns out my, you know, very few people in the country had uh, internet access because it's, it, you know, it was new. And also it's a country where about 80% of the population live uh, close to the poverty line or under. And so it's, it's not uh, typical for, for what well, at the time it wasn't typical for people to have internet access at home. Um, and she took me to her place and told me she was going to show me this thing. Uh, and I didn't know exactly what to expect because I had been hearing about the internet abstractly, you know, from people around me, I don't know if in movies or, or in, on TV or something. Um, and, and, she told me that you could access virtually all the information in the world from you know, your computer at home and you didn't have to go to a library to get it. And the first thing she showed me was uh, we did a virtual tour of the, of the Louvre Museum in Paris. So we had a chance to see the Mona Lisa and some of the other artworks. And I was blown away that in just a few seconds, um, we could essentially digitally travel to Paris you know, and, and, and experience that without having to go to a local library and, and borrow a book. Awesome. Love that story. And interesting how 20 plus years later, now you and I can just connect virtually and I can get a virtual tour, uh, tour of your art room as well. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so yeah, I love that. And you also shared when we spoke last time uh, around how your interest in mathematics grew as well and started to excel in that in high school. And then, you know, tried out and saw if you might be able to end up in some universities of the US, um, which unfortunately didn't work out, but turned out to maybe be best case because I think you stayed in Venezuela, but then there was about a three month shutdown similar to the one we've been facing with the pandemic. 
that ultimately enabled you to go to one of your dream schools. So share a little bit of that story for us. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, was, I, I realized that I was uh, reasonably good at math from a relatively young age, and that uh, doubled down my passion for it because um, I, I and genuinely enjoyed um, learning math, and I happened to be good at it. And so in high school, um, I participated in a number of uh, international competitions. Um, and that was a, a really uh, uh, incredible catalyst for me to think about my future and what I wanted to do in life and realize that if I could be a mathematician and uh, you know, get a PhD, do research, teach, that would be like a dream come true, right? If I could like literally work with my passion. And, and for, you know, since the time I was a teenager until I was about 20, 21 years old, that was my goal in life to dedicate my life to mathematics. Um, and I was actually really proud and happy that I saw my, you know, my classmates and my friends of my age uh, at that time when, you know, when you're 15, 16, 18 years old, you know, most kids that age don't have a really good sense of what they want to do in life. And I felt really lucky to have found my, my calling. Uh, that changed a, a few years later, and I'll, I'll get into that story in a moment. Um, but you're right. I, it was also my dream to go to a, a college in the U.S. Um, that, that seemed like such a cool idea of living on campus, which is also not something that, you know, that was common uh, in Venezuela where I grew up. But this whole notion of being completely integrated with a, a college community seemed uh, fascinating to me. And I applied to a number of colleges, I think six or seven, when I was a senior in high school, but I got rejected everywhere. Um, and, and I think in great part that happened because I didn't have um, really good role models or mentors who could help me navigate that process of applying to an American college. Um, it's not common to do it uh, at home. And so I didn't have the right um, people to guide me through it. And I was also not super open to getting feedback from others with my essays or my application forms because I felt that was a little like cheating. Um, it took me years to realize that getting feedback was actually a really good thing to, you know, to, to do better work. Um, and, and so I applied to schools. I got rejected everywhere. So I had to stay home and I started going to a public uh, college in back home in Venezuela. And right around that time, we had a general strike in the country for three months, like you pointed out, and everything shut down. Uh, at the time, it was for political reasons. It was a political um, strike, essentially, hmm. um, not not a, a pandemic or health crisis like we have today. And the, the there were rumors that maybe the college was going to be shutting down for inevitably or indefinitely. And my mother at the time, you know, said, "Hey, you applied to a bunch of U.S. schools last year. You didn't get in, but maybe this is a sign. Maybe you should reapply and maybe as a transfer." Um, and so I discussed it with one of my professors, Mercedes Rosas, in, 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 in Venezuela. And she helped me connect to folks at the University of Michigan, which is where I ended up going to school. Um, and I submitted my application. They understood that I was going through very, um, you know, exceptional circumstances back home where I wasn't, you know, going to school physically because the strike was happening. And somehow, I think the you know, professor recommendations and a lot of luck helped me this time around. I got, a, uh, uh, you know, I, I got a spot offered from the University of Michigan and I moved there. Um, and I have to admit, the, I, I, I went there thinking, well, if it doesn't work out, that's fine too, because the college that I'm going to back home 
uh, I had a chance to experience that for a, a couple, two or three months before the strike started. And I was really enjoying it. So I was like, well, worst case scenario, if Michigan doesn't work out, I can return back home. Um, but once I got to Michigan, uh, that was mind blowing. Um, it was insane, like the, the resources, the quality of the students, the caliber of the professors. And I realized that I could study real mathematics there um, with other students who were so inclined. And that's how I started that process of, of college. Um, I don't know if you want me to talk about like the transition into tech now or if there's any other uh, point you want to hear about the college part. Yeah, no, I love I love sharing that. I definitely do want to transition, but also just call out, you know, uh, how amazing it is for the support you've had from your family, from your godmother to your mom, um, and helping you persevere through what, as we're going to learn, isn't just the first time you experienced some rejection with those applications. Um, and I'm excited to get those later. But also want to call out that at your time at University of Michigan, uh, clearly excelled with honors and awards, uh, national recognition and more competitions. And then speaking of that transition, had a pretty interesting experience with Microsoft internship uh, and the recruiting there. Um, so I was, I was uh, particularly touched by this story. So maybe just, uh, walk us through how again, initial rejection, but you persevered through. Yeah, and that's definitely a theme, a recurring theme, unfortunately, of my life. Lots of failure to <laughs> finally get to, the, to, to, to some place of, 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 of moderate success. Um, so as I was saying, I, I was really into math, but at some point I realized maybe it was not the thing that I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, and, I, and I think it was primarily because I felt I had a moral duty to give back to society. Um, mm. in, a, in a more tangible way. And I feel like mathematics was not going to allow me to do that um, because the majority of pure math research today, I think is focused on open-ended math problems that are mostly interested only to the math community. Mm. And so I realized I needed to pivot. And the closest thing that I could think of that was also part of my passions and interests was tech. Mm. I decided to apply to Microsoft um, Actually, there's a story you may not know. I first applied when I was a freshman with possibly the worst resume ever created in the history of humankind. Um, uh, I, I, I may even share that on my website at some point so people can actually see how, you know, where, where I was coming from. And, uh, and, then I, and then I applied the summer before my senior year. Um, and I went to the on-site interviews at Microsoft they, they, they had me in, talk to two teams, one in the morning and another one in the afternoon. It was pretty clear that the morning team, that it was just not a good fit. I didn't have the right skills or the right uh, you know, experience or background to, to be able to work with them. But in the afternoon, I had a, a, a good series of interviews and I really liked uh, the people that I was talking to. They had me talk to a director at the end of the day. That was my final interview. And I remember that final interview was really good. Like I felt, you know, super strong on, on the delivery. And at the end, the director told me, hey, you know, this is a great interview. I'd love to see you, you know, I'd love for you to come work with us in the summer. Um, and, you know, this was like my first serious job interview in life. And I didn't know whether I should take that as, a, as an offer or what. But I kind of realized that, you know, if a director was saying those things that I was likely going to get an offer and I was super excited, I called my mother that day and, and shared the news. And then about a week or two later, I think I got an email saying, you know, thank you so much for your time, but unfortunately, we are not going to be moving forward with an offer. 
And I was uh, uh, a little shocked and disappointed, of course. Um, And the first thing that came to mind was for me to, you know, send an email um, to that director that I had spoken to. I'm not even sure how I got their email address. I don't know if they shared it with me or I had to do some digging around. Um, And I sent them an email um, just to basically let them know that I was a, a bit surprised about the decision because I felt like the interviews had gone well. And at the end, I told them, I remembered, hey, at the end, you told me it'd be great to see me in the summer. And, you know, I, I, my intention with this, with this email was just communicating how I felt. I honestly didn't expect anything to come out of it. But, you know, a day or so later, they got back to me and said, hey, you know what? Um, we didn't have this role available for you, but given your email and your perseverance, we're going to extend the offer. Um, and so I ended up spending the summer at Microsoft in 2006. Um, that was my first internship. And uh, I was honestly not anticipating that. Hap- like, that was not my goal with an email. So it worked out though. And, uh, you know, just another example of your perseverance through some initial rejection and maybe some inspiration for our viewers to not give up um, and have that ambition to maybe send that email. And so, you know, in this theme of building your career, uh, you know, at Microsoft, sounded like you had a pretty steep learning curve, but excelled, uh, moved on to Google's prestigious APM program, and then started taking on even more responsibility at Yahoo, where we had the opportunity to work together under Marissa. Um, So quite, you know, the vast experience in your career as you built it. Um, What practical advice might you offer people going through some career shifts today? Uh, That's a good question. let me tell you, this is the, 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 uh, the piece of advice that I got um, from one of the Microsoft folks um, who was trying to hire me after the internship. So they extended an, a full-time offer and it was basically between Microsoft and Google for me as a personal decision. And uh, the, the, the guy at Microsoft told me, you should go work at the place or you should go spend your time with the people that you consider to be the smartest. Hmm. Um, and you know, when I, when I heard that advice, it, it sounded like it made a lot of sense to me. Um, because at the end of the day, you want to be exposed to folks who, um, you know, are really good at what they do. You can learn from them. They can push you, you know, to exceed your boundaries. Um, and it's, it's a really good environment to be in. So that was a, an obvious reason to go and, and do that. But it took me years to realize that there was a secondary reason why this is such good advice, hmm. which is if you happen to go to a place where you have really, really smart people, um, I'm talking about like top, you know, top 1% of like folks who work in the tech community and you happen to cause a positive impression on a couple of them, then that's tremendously powerful in this industry um, moving forward. Because it turns out that some of those folks, you know, they're going to go out and do great things later on. Um, you know, they have long careers in front of them. And when they go and start their own company, when they get hired as VP or chief executive something or chief product officer or whatever role they get, they're going to be needing people to help them, um, you know, deliver their vision uh, as they grow their careers. And they're probably going to think about the folks that they have worked with that are good. And so if you're able to go to a place where 
everyone around you feels like they're smarter than you and you're like the dumbest person in the room, that's actually a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And it's not just the learning, but also the career opportunities that could arise years after that, that I finally appreciated when, when I started seeing some of my colleagues doing really, you know, awesome, you know, building amazing companies, building great products and, you know, occasionally hearing from them saying, Hey, you know, we're looking for somebody, would you like to come join us? And that's, you know, it's, it's important to have that kind of network um, if you can, if you can achieve it. Certainly. Yeah. I love that. And especially the support, whether it's family or professional, um, that network is, is crucial and also surrounding yourselves with people that are going to challenge you. Right. And, Absolutely. and help you grow in areas that you might not be able to see, you know, in coaching, we call those blind spots. And if you're constantly around people that just make you feel good and you're almost better than them, you're not really going to set yourself up for growth. So I love how you bring that perspective. And so now shifting gears a little bit back to your story, you know, from Microsoft, Google, Yahoo, uh, and before ending back up at Google, which I'm excited for that story. But before there, uh, you broke off and tried a little bit of entrepreneurship. And so, you know, uh, a bit of a humble story here, but I loved how you went out, took some risks and followed your passion. So maybe share some of the learnings and what that experience was like trying out some entrepreneurship. Absolutely. So to set up the context a little bit, I had, I had been working in the Valley for about eight or nine years when I realized that I had like this entrepreneurial bug that was itching me and I really needed to, you know, pursue something along those lines. Um, and I, I decided to leave Yahoo back in 2015 to move to South Florida with my family and start uh, and try my luck at a few ideas that I had that were mostly lifestyle businesses. They, I was not trying to build like the next unicorn hyper growth venture backed company. Instead, I wanted to try to build something from the ground up without too many external dependencies financially or otherwise, and maybe build something that could create enough like value and, and, and sort of like operating income so that it could you know, create cash flow for me to be able to, you know, spend my time on whatever I thought was important at the time. And so I had a few ideas, but the two that really got traction were uh, a, an online store. And also I, I started doing product management coaching for a couple of years. Um, now, what I was looking for was um, to be able to spend you know, to have some like flexibility and, and feel like I had total control of my time and decisions so that I could then really spend my time and, and energy and things that I thought were worthwhile. Mm. Now, it's really tough to pull that off with a lifestyle business. And I had been told about that multiple times, but I didn't realize it until I had a chance to, to, to try it out. So by the end of it, um, after two, two and a half years, what I realized is my, my uh, learning curve uh, started plateauing. And I felt like the kinds of challenges and problems and you know, day-to-day operations that I was dealing with were more of the same. They started feeling repetitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I needed like a, a new intellectual challenge. Um, but there was a secondary part too, which is financially these um, businesses that I started were especially the store, which was the big uh, investment, um, it was kind of like starting to break even, but it wasn't generating anything for me. It was just like kind of covering costs. Mm -hmm. And so I had, I was essentially pressured to find uh, an option financially that would help me uh, take care of my family. 
Um, and so um, I, I decided ultimately that I needed to find a real job again um, and, and ended up applying to probably six or seven tech companies um, as a product manager. And, and, and again, as a reminder, I had been coaching people for two and a half years um, the at that point uh, specifically to get um, job offers at tech companies. That was my job. I had, uh, I probably mentored or coached over 50 people, some of them up to five, six, seven times each. Um, and, and I was able to successfully, you know, land some of them offers to the biggest, you know, most competitive tech companies in the world. So that was really good. But then when I tried to get a job again, um, I got rejections everywhere, except for Google, uh, which came as the last um, uh, company to, to give me an offer. But at the time, um, you know, the processes were moving slowly. I thought I was going to get an offer and I was not getting any offers. And the, the you know, the bomb was ticking. Um, I had a very clear, like, you know, amount of savings that I was using at the time. And the day I signed the offer to return to Google, I was about two or three weeks away from running completely out of cash, like totally no, no, no assets under my name. Um, and so I was about to have to like buy a used car or something and start driving for Uber or Lyft so I could generate uh, income um, quickly and start paying for the bills because, you know, we were not going to have money to pay for the bills for the next month. And uh, thankfully, you know, Google um, um, extended an offer for me to return um, after having left uh, for six years. And that's where I've been for the last couple of years. So it's been uh, quite a ride. Fascinating and quite a ride to say the least uh, from almost going to Uber to, uh, you know, now at Google and, you know, what an inspiring story to take those risks of, you know, following that entrepreneur itch. Sometimes you got to scratch it and then, uh, you know, ending up where you are today with tons of learnings. And so I'm curious, you know, from that humble experience with the entrepreneurships, which sound like they brought some fulfillment, but then wanted to get back up and be challenged again. Uh, what would you recommend for people that are seeking that challenge, you know, intellectually, um, from just a broader career standpoint, how have you been able to manifest or create those opportunities to be challenged and learn uh, from them, maybe that's, you know, now at Google or from a past experience, but that learning mindset is so key for our growth. How do you help foster that for yourself? That's a good question. And I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I have a lot of practical advice that can help people, <laughs> but let me share like what goes on in, in my mind when this happens. But I, I have this thing where um, I feel like every year or two, I need to reinvent a specific part of who I am. Um, part of the reason is that I kind of get, you know, tired and bored if something becomes a little too repetitive or if my learning curve um, sort of flattens, then I don't enjoy it as much. I feel like I need to be intellectually challenged or challenged in some capacity, learning something new or, or you know, getting better at something that I, I'm quite frankly not good at. Um, and so I enjoy those kinds of personal challenges. They're really, really personal in the sense that I often don't share very broadly, um, you know, what the struggle is. But I've, what I've realized is, for me, it's helped um, to essentially have like, you know, a handful of mentors 
that I can rely on. And so whenever I, I encounter one of these situations where it's like, hey, I have enough signal here that maybe what I'm doing right now is not quite what I should be doing, or I'm not learning enough, or there's something that's frustrating me. So I have a series of, of, of you know, close friends and mentors that I typically call. And it, it, for me, the process tends to take, you know, sometimes months um, for me to like really be able to articulate what it is that I'm feeling and what I need. And so a lot of these conversations just start by catching up and, you know, telling my, my friends slash mentors, you know, what's been happening lately. And then I go into like some of the stuff that I'm enjoying and some of the stuff I'm not enjoying as much. And uh, after having these kinds of uh, conversations with, with a few trusted folks, I start, you know, thinking about what it is that I need, um, you know, like what, what are, what are the characteristics or patterns of the things that I'm enjoying doing right now? And what are the things that I stopped liking or enjoying? And can I see a pattern there that helps me understand, like, can I create an opportunity to do something that I'm enjoying uh, very much at this time or something that will allow me to grow in a particular area that I think is important. Mm. Love that. And your perspective around constantly reinventing yourself and not getting too comfortable. Right. And I think that's um, true in our careers as you stepped out of the comfort of the corporate environment to try entrepreneurship, but then also with the way we show up with other people and what are some of our healthy and maybe unhealthy tendencies from an EQ standpoint too. Um, So checking that and also, you know, providing ways that we can evolve. So speaking of how we evolve and this idea of personal development, uh, can you maybe share a book or two that's really impacted you uh, as far as personal development or just in general really touched you in, uh, in a particular way? Um, this may be a bit of, a, of an odd pick, but uh, I'll actually pick two. Um, one is Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, uh, the okay. Nike founder. Um, because the, 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 the story of the book is the first 10 or 15 years of Nike or something like that, if I remember correctly. And yep. I almost should uh, bring it out. I have it back here as well. It's one of my favorites as well. Nice. And I, and I did the audio version. So that one's like, I think it has a, a, an extra like emotional uh, touch too. Oh, yeah. But the, 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 the fascinating thing about it is that uh, hopefully I'm not spoiling this to, you know, to anybody, but, but Nike struggled a lot in the early days. Like it almost didn't happen. Um, and many times. And so I, I, I appreciated sort of the candor that, that Phil Knight exposed in, in that book, you know, many decades after, you know, he was very, very successful, he decided to write about the early days and like the, all of the, the adventures and the mishappenings and, you know, bums along the way to get this thing off the ground. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of like family, mentors, friends, stories tied into the book that are uh, really powerful. And I, thoroughly enjoy that book. Um, the, the second one that I would call out is probably one called Station Eleven. Hmm. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it, but um, it's a book that talks about a global pandemic that wipes 99.9% of the population. Hmm. Um, and it talks about like the before, the during, and the after this happens. Like it's, it's stories told in like three different time periods. Um, but I read this book in December of last year um, or November of last year. And uh, the, the, uh, of course, the outcome of that pandemic is different from the one we're living now, because in, in that, you know, fictional book, there, there is a 
um, a pandemic that actually is very, very deadly and it kills like 99.9% .9 of the population very quickly, like within a few weeks. Hmm. Um, and, and so the, the funny thing is that when the real pandemic started, I felt like it was a bit of a deja vu <laughs> moment for me. Um, I had read the whole book, so I knew how it had unfolded. Um, and I almost felt like I had just read the playbook on how to deal with these things. Hmm. Um, now, thankfully, the, the COVID-19 isn't as deadly as the, the virus that they describe in the book. Um, but there was, uh, there, there's a lot of stories of like human resilience and the ability to sustain like incredible struggles, but still get back up. Um, and that's, you know, that's been like a, 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 a pattern, like you said, you know, in my life of lots of rejections, um, but still like with perseverance, you know, every now and then getting a bit of a breakthrough. Wonderful. Yeah, well, beautifully said and love that you called out shoe dog as well from just learning of the, the history of the, you know, tennis shoe industry and Phil Knight, what they're able to accomplish. Um, certainly would recommend that one. And so, as you mentioned, too, with the story of perseverance and also your heart for helping other people, including how you, you know, have always taken care of your family, uh, almost to the point of driving Uber. Um, but you're also just your heart for society, as you shared from early age. Maybe share a little bit about the nonprofit um, that you're passionate about. Absolutely. So I, I picked Gender Spectrum um, to, to highlight today. Uh, it's an organization that is, uh, it, the primary purpose is to help families with trans kids. Um, and they do a phenomenal job uh, sharing out articles and information just so that you learn more about the subject. They have resources, they have support groups, they have events that they organize. So they, they basically make it a little easier for the trans community to, um, you know, sort of have resources and support to be able to you know, lead a happy life. It turns out that uh, there's a lot of kids who struggle with being trans when they're kids because of the social stigma that comes around with it. Um, and it turns out that if you provide a, a really supportive environment and, and you, know, you are able to share the information with everyone they interact with, if we create a more you know, respectful and empathetic world, um, I think a lot of those kids are gonna have a brighter future. So I think it's an amazing organization. I'm um, happy that, that you gave me the opportunity to call them out. Yeah, wonderful, of course. And I love how you just bring up that idea of more empathy and support and how important that support has been for you in your life, as we talked about from your godmother to your mom and your professional network. And so important for people these days struggling with you know the pandemic is to just surround ourselves with good loving people. Um, and, and to make sure that we're taking care of others. So as we're wrapping up now, a couple final questions. And one is in that same vein around, you know, just helping society, what are you most excited about with the future of tech? I know you're working on Google One, so if you want, feel free to uh, make a shameless plug. Um, but in, in a broader sense as well with the future of tech, you know, what are you most excited about? Ah, that's an excellent question. Um... This may be a little too far out there, um, but it's something that I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to in my lifetime, if possible, if, if tech really gets there. But when you think about like, how do we capture memories? Um, it's been uh, like historically, like you could get photos, you could get videos, you can get audio now, but ultimately like these are brain processes when you see a picture and when you see a photo, they trigger things in your brain um, that uh, 
you know, help you kind of mentally move back to that um, time. But there's like, you know, chemistry happening in your body as well of like how you feel and what you sense. And I anticipate that at some point we're going to be able to understand the API of the brain or how the brain works. Um, and hopefully we can capture memories in an even more immersive way. So, you know, like, you know, we've, we've gone from like a 2D photo to like 3D virtual environments. Question is like, can you somehow at some point in the future capture a moment where you can relive it and feel like you're almost like almost, almost there, right? Like, can you try to recreate enough things in the brain to make you feel like you can actually look around and go back to your childhood or go visit, you know, like some memory that somebody else has, right? Like imagine winning like, you know, the Super Bowl or the World or the FIFA World Cup and like being able to live that moment through like one of the players. Uh, I'm, that's like a little sci-fi almost. Um, but I think, you know, theoretically it should be possible. And I, my understanding is uh, there's a lot of investment in just understanding like the brain as a, as a sort of like technical development and how can we actually, you know, operate and work with it. Um, I know it may sound scary, so I'm, I'm hoping that at least the folks who are uh, really advanced in this field can do the right thing from an ethical standpoint, of course, because some of these things could be abused for really bad purposes. So um, if, as a, if as a society we can come together and, you know, delineate when uses of, you know, that, those kinds of, you know, technological and health developments are possible, uh, what's okay and what's not okay, hopefully we'll, we'll be in a good shape to to manage that transition fascinating well i love the uh perspective there especially the opportunity to to help people right and some of those shared memories that they might be able to experience um and i'm glad we were able to uh, create a little digital memory today um and and you sharing your story uh one of definitely perseverance as we as we've talked about a few times so maybe if you could wrap up with a few closing words of wisdom for our viewers um as we're coming together here as a close um you know what might you offer them Absolutely. I think the, 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 the most important thing that I can offer since I've, you know, I've had a lot of people ask me like, Hey, like, what should I do in this case? I've, you know, I'm not getting offers. Like I've, I've helped people in that circumstance uh, quite often. Life throws you obstacles all the time. And sometimes you feel like you're failing and there's no, you know, it's a string of rejections, a string of failures. And more often than not, what I realize is if, you, if you're patient enough, you can at some point in life look back at some of those obstacles that were along the way and understand that they were there for a reason. They were there to get you to where you are today. Mm. So you don't need every single person, every single company, every single entity out there to recognize your own value and recognize uh, who you are as an individual and extend you an offer to join them. Um, you just need one. And so even if you have five, six, 10, 20 people, entities, companies telling, you no, know, um, organizations, you know, turning their backs on you, that's okay. Um, it's, if it's not working out at some point in your future, you'll realize that if those obstacles had not been there, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be where you are today. I think if you remain with that sense of optimism, that even when you're, getting knocked down in life, right? Your, you know, life is throwing something at you. That's only so that you can get back up. Mm. 
wonderfully said. Well, beautifully articulated to wrap up. Reminds me of just the importance to build that perseverance. And on top of that, building our character. And that ultimately leads to a little bit more hope. Uh, so I'm hoping, you know, viewers, as, as I've been touched by your story, are as well. And I just want to thank you again so much, Fernando, for your time and for joining us today. All the best with what you have coming up. Thank you so much, Jack, for having me. Uh, it was a pleasure sharing my story with you. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much, Fernando. Bye-bye. Thank you. Goodbye. Huge thank you to Fernando for joining us and to all of you for tuning in. I'd like to express my gratitude by wrapping up in a simple prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for another day. Thank you for the breath in our lungs. Thank you for how you provide and for who you are. Such a good, loving God. Knowing there's so many people struggling around the world these days. And uh, Lord, I just ask that you comfort them as the uh, King of comfort, the King of kings. And um, just thank you for your love and how you pour it out and hopefully brought some inspiration to people listening in. May you bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in and much love.